Disrupting Japan, Episode 69. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. More and more Japanese startup founders are looking at, or even moving to, Silicon Valley. It's easy to see the appeal. San Francisco is home to the largest and most competitive startup ecosystem in the world. In fact, there's a small Japanese startup community in San Francisco, with Japanese startups, mentors, and investors all supporting each other and trying to make it work. Of course, the founders that come from Japan, well, it's a mixed group. Some have successful companies in Japan and view San Francisco as their logical first step towards global expansion. Some are new founders that have an idea they feel is more suited to the American market than the Japanese market. And some, well, some are kind of startup tourists, visiting the offices of famous startups and going through the motions as if they were in some kind of startup role playing game. On my last trip to San Francisco, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Keisuke Kajitani, co founder of Ramen Hero. He and his co founder moved to San Francisco from Japan because they thought that the U.S. would be a better market for their product. Oddly, because ramen is already too popular in Japan. Now, Ramen Hero sells home delivery ramen meal kits, and it's a business that makes much more sense to launch in the U.S. Than it does in Japan. But you know, Keisuke explains all that much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. I want to tell you about Justa. Now, I've known these guys for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they're priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. I'm sitting here with Keisuke Kajitani of Ramen Hero. And we're sitting here in beautiful San Francisco. So thanks for sitting down with us. Thanks for having me. Although I got to say, San Francisco is not, not so beautiful today. Yeah, right? it's raining hard. I don't hard. think I've ever seen this much rain in San Francisco. <laughs> Maybe I'm fortunate today. <laughs> but we're inside and dry, so that's good. So listen, to get things started, why don't you tell me a bit about Ramen Hero? Sure. So Ramen Hero is a meal kit service specifically focused on. Delivering authentic ramen to your house. So, what we deliver inside of the meal kit is the fresh noodle and soup and toppings, and of course, the recipe card so that you can become a ramen chef at your house. Okay. The food industry in general is, is hard,、um, it's incredibly competitive. It's hard to build up a loyal user base because trends come and go、sure. so fast.、Mm-hmm. Why did you choose this particular startup? I've seen a lot of、uh, Japanese entrepreneurs trying to figure out how to you know, make a big company in Silicon Valley, but I often find that、uh, Japanese entrepreneurs are not 
having a strength in their expertise. There's tons of good engineers, there's tons of good entrepreneurs, but ramen is something that Japanese can be expertise about. So that's why we choose ramen as the first entrance for a food business. Okay, so it was something that, that would make you unique、sure. and play on your Japanese-ness、mm-hmm. here in Silicon Valley.、Mm-hmm. All right. How did you pull it together? Tell me a bit about your partners and co founders. Tell me about the team. Sure.、Uh, so, I'm the COO of Ramen Hero, and I have a co founder whose name is Hero, who is the CEO slash the chef <laughs> of this company. Hero graduated Tokyo University, but while he was in gra- university,、uh, he decided to open his own ramen restaurant by himself with his friend. But he totally screwed up. <laughs> he had the wrong recipe. He tried to have the squid intestine in the soup to have the uniqueness, but it smelled horrible. <laughs> so, you know, he wasn't a good chef. Yes, he was unique for sure, but he wasn't a good chef. So, after that,、uh, he founded an online farmer's market service, which restaurants in Tokyo can purchase、uh, fruits and vegetables directly from the farms.、Uh, he, he was doing that business. But he couldn't actually erase the passion of the ramen by himself.、Right. So he decided to come to Silicon Valley and start a ramen business. But he cannot turn himself into a ramen chef pretty instantly, right? So what he did was he entered a ramen university. There, there's an actual ramen yes, school, school to learn、yes. how to do it. <laughs> For sure.、Maybe. It's Japan, this should not surprise me. <laughs> exactly. So he went through just like you know, a couple of weeks of like a training with a couple thousand dollars, and you know, it was expensive, but it surely was very fruitful. So he got the basic understanding of ramen there. And then he was serving a ramen in the United States for、uh, around maybe 40 to 50 times, getting the local taste, sometimes serving like 100 ramen in two hours. And how did you two end up getting together? We met through the mutual、uh, mentor. His name is Kiyo Kobayashi. Okay. Yes, <laughs> very famous guy in Japanese startup industry. We had the same mentor, and I always wanted to you know,、uh, start a business in Silicon Valley that was like one of the holy p l a c e for an entrepreneur,、uh, but I didn't have a chance to do it by myself. I was seeking for an opportunity, and that's how Kiyo、uh, introduced me to Hero. All right. It makes sense as, as an objective, but so usually people who are passionate about Food, whether it's ramen or, or any particular type of food, their goal is to open a restaurant.、Uh, and you guys have taken the home delivery approach, so it's similar to like Blue Apron,、sure. but for ramen. How big do you think this market is? How many customers could potentially be interested in, realistically, be interested in home delivered ramen? Yeah, the market research is estimated as 1.5 billion US dollars for meal kit market right now. But it's not as big as you, know, you think.、Mm-hmm. And it's going to be growing around maybe 4 to 5 billion US dollars in maybe next 10 years. That's what the research is saying. But what's more interesting is that、uh, I think Miyokit business or the restaurant without the physical restaurant model is much more scalable than the other you know, restaurant business types. Because you, know, you can basically own a restaurant without paying lots of like, rent. So, we think,、uh, you know, starting from San Francisco, where the rent is most expensive, we believe the business model of the meal kit is, is more fitable than actually opening a ramen restaurant. But of, of that currently 1.4 billion, that could be up to 4 billion in a few years meal kit market, what percentage of that do you think could be filled by 
ramen, <laughs> or do you plan to expand beyond ramen? Sure.、Um, I think if you like multiply that one point, you know, four or five、uh, meal kit business times the ramen ratio, it's gonna be very very small. <laughs> okay. But you can also、uh, look at the number of the serving of the instant noodle, which is I think it's over billions, even、mm-hmm. only in only in United States. So. The ramen is all foundation of the people's like way of eating, <laughs> and、uh, we definitely want to improve rather than just eating the top ramen. <laughs> so we, you can look at the market in like two different,、um, maybe three different perspectives. One is the meal kit service that I mentioned. Two is the instant noodles that I just mentioned, and the third one is the ramen shop.、Uh, it is estimated that we have twelve thousand ramen shops in the United States, and it's. Growing by 17.5 percent every year. It's if we grow in the same growth rate, the number of the ramen shop will double in five years.、Mm. So in food industry, doubling the number of the restaurant is huge change. Sure,、yes. sure. So we think that's the that's the trend that we are chasing for. So are you always going to be marketing these meal kits to consumers? Are you also going to be marketing to restaurants and sort of pop up restaurants as well? What's、yeah. the plan? Very good point. Actually, when we started this company in the beginning, we were aiming for the B two B market. B two B market. Yes,、oh. serving the ramen soup to the restaurants, like Chinese restaurants or ramen shops. There is a、uh, one Japanese company called Ariake Japan, IPO'd company who sells the manufactured ramen soup to the restaurants. Very very profitable,、uh, and they're really very good business. So we started we decided to do something similar to that. But the feedback we got from the chefs all around the Bay Area was like, you need a proof that I know this t- soup tastes good, but you need a proof that this soup sells, not just tastes good. You know、okay. what I mean?、Oh. So, just because we can make a good ramen doesn't mean it sells, right? It has to have a brand, or like it has to have a proof from the customers, good feedbacks. So, what we decided to do is now let's dig down on this because、mm-hmm. I find that surprising. Sure. Because when you go to a restaurant and they'll serve you ramen or any kind of food,、mm-hmm. the chefs aren't telling you who their suppliers are. Sure. In fact, they're they're going to great lengths to pretend that. There is no supplier. They have、It's、a bunch、original. of yeah. They have they have a bunch of fresh vegetables, and they're doing everything right behind you in the kitchen, right?、That's, Secret sauce. Yeah, that's the big illusion. Yes. So I find it very surprising that the chefs would think that something tasted good, but they would have trouble selling it. Most of the ramen shop you find in Japanese、uh, Japan, they're using the industrial soup.、Right. They're not making it by themselves. Many of them,、uh, when they make soup. You have to boil the soup for over eight hours to twelve hours. That's a long time, right? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you want to cut the labor by introducing the soup from outside. But there is not many a variety of like soup which is manufactured outside yet in San Francisco. Maybe only fifteen kinds of the、okay. yeah. So your goal was is to introduce like a very premium quality of of broth certainly into these commercial markets. So. The chefs you spoke to said that they liked the flavor, but they weren't sure it would sell. Yes. So, your next step was to sell directly to consumers. Yeah, I mean, what we are trying to do is exactly sell directly to the consumers, and when we do that, we understand what ingredients are included in each soup. So, according to the customer satisfaction or the feedback, we can examine which ingredients fits the best for the American people's taste. Okay. 
that will actually accelerate the development of the best American ramen soup. <laughs> it's kind of a ramen meets big data. Exactly. That's kind of exaggeration, but uh, we're doing something, something like that, I guess. <laughs> what, what kind of feedback did you get from your customers? What kind of changes did you have to make? So the population of San Francisco is very diverse, as you know. Some people whose, whose nationality is from like Asia, or especially in China, feels that the Japanese ramen soup tastes a little bit saltier than what they expected. We call this uh, soy sauce uh, kaeshi or tare. That is not usually included in the Chinese soups. So because we add extra soy sauce into the ramen soup or maybe extra miso into the ramen soup, they feel a little bit saltier. So that kind of difference. Or maybe like um, for uh, American people, uh, Japanese people tends to feel the umami, but right. American people tends to feel the spiciness as a good taste. So they always ask for like, could you have like a spicy toppings or like a spicy sauces, like maybe sriracha? <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! <laughs> exactly, that's, that's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the that's the right answer for United States actually. Okay. We we don't want to push. The Japanese culture of ramen to here. We want to reinvent the American ramen culture here in the United States. So are, you're developing like several different flavors yes, for different markets now? Exactly. So the American ramen is going to be more spicy? Uh, I don't know, salty. for some people. Okay. <laughs> I think everybody has a different taste. <laughs> Any kind of general trends that are going to be different in the U.S.? Right now, it's just the beginning of ramen age in the United States. Okay. So. so We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, the first company who enter and have a successful, you know, track record might be Momofuku, uh, that, which is, you know, founded by David Chan, the celebrity chef, and also Ipudo in New York. They, because they were successful, Tonkotsu Ramen is like the foundation of the ramen culture here in the United States. I think there's a lot more flavor coming. So... When you did that initial pivot to sell directly to consumers, mm -hmm. tell me about your customers. Who are your customers? Who's, who's buying your ramen kits? It's very surprising, but for our customers, ramen is like a party food. So it's like a pizza or, you know, it's like, yeah. When people said, I'm going to make ramen tonight, would you like to come? Almost 100% your friends wants to come to your place. It's a hip, you know, food culture. So we usually sell our product to like maybe 20s to 30s, we call them millennials, uh -huh. yes, who has like a community around them, maybe friends who go to the Burning Man together. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so those segments love exploring a new food culture. And those segments are the one who's actually buying the meal kits. They're not uh, no longer going to you know, restaurants and eating like very fatty, unhealthy foods. They want to control and learn what they're putting in their mouths. Are these people who are also, are they interested in Ramen Hero because they're already part of a group of people who are using, already using home delivery meals? Mm. Or are they more interested in it from the ramen angle? I think the latter, yes. Okay. Uh, so they are always seeking for a new thing. But you cannot open the instant noodle and serve it in the party, right? No, <laughs> not, not advisable, no. <laughs> But uh, I think uh, if you want to go to have like authentic ramen, you have to go to ramen shop right now. And some of the ramen shops are very expensive. It's like 20 bucks per bowl of ramen, including chips. Twenty dollars for a bowl of ramen. Yes, and you have ramen is expensive in San exactly. Francisco. It's like a luxury French food. 
<laughs> so, uh, and you have to sometimes wait like hours or two hours before you get into the shops. I guess uh, it's more accessible for them and making like ramen by yourself, like doing yugiri kind of motion, you know, draining the water from the noodle, that's more interesting for like a people in here. Okay. They want to experience that. <laughs> okay, so it, it, in a big way, you're selling the, the novelty of it. Sure, it, it, the experience we call it, yeah. Okay. So, how did you go about marketing, building the community? Uh, were there trade shows? How did you get the word out about Ramen Hero? So, we have two strong uh, channels for marketing. One is, it's called Kitchen Town, located in San Mateo. It's a shared kitchen, uh, which is shared among maybe 20 to 30 food startups. And uh, besides that commercial kitchen, uh, there is like a cafe or restaurant located. And we can use the, the space to actually conduct events or pop-up events to serve ramen. And in that community, there are tons of foodie people subscribing their email list, looking for a new food culture. And when we conduct events, uh, people who like exploring a new food culture always come. You know? Sure. So that would be the core of like people who viral about ramen, who talk about our product and brands. And second channel we're using recently is something called Feastly and also Eat With. Uh, that's a web service actually. And what's interesting about them is it's in short Airbnb for restaurants. Chef can actually conduct re restaurant without having a physical restaurant or license. They can conduct restaurant at home. So you will post your own menu like this is the ramen we're going to be serving, this is how much it costs, and the platform will gather the customer for you, and you will basically conduct a ramen shop at your house. So these channels are really good for us to like, gather the customers without having any marketing you know, cost. Now, are these channels something that are unique to San Francisco, or will this approach scale to the rest of America and the rest of the world? Mm, I think it's only limited to maybe coast side. Okay. Uh, maybe New York has one too. New York, uh, EatWiz is really big in New York as well. And also there is like a food accelerator in New York called FoodX, which we are applying. Um, they do have lots of community of foodie people as well, and they can conduct events for us as well. So maybe, on the coast side, we do have the potential to do similar marketing. And the next step after that, do you have plans to go back to Japan with this? To enter the Japanese market with the American uh, home delivery ramen? Probably not Japan, but the rest of the world, yes. Yeah. Japan is just like, um, you know, Uber. You, I think your article was mentioning about Uber, you know, in Japan, Japanese market. The taxis is everywhere. <laughs> and Japan is too convenient. <laughs> yeah, there's and lots of good ramen in Japan. Exactly. So the competition is much higher. You can just walk to the you know, shop. But Also, if your main marketing strategy is the novelty mm -hmm. of putting together ramen and making ramen, well, it's not novel in Japan. Mm -hmm. It's really everyday food. So true. <laughs> okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, actually, let's, let's back up a little bit and um, talk about you. So... Before you started Ramen Hero, you've, you've had a number of experiences in startups and uh, Japan market entry, and you were running the Japan office for uh, a Korean startup, uh, VCNC, right? My first career was actually uh, joining a venture capital 
called Jaffco. Okay. And just fresh after the college, um, I joined the company and uh, I spent only half a year in the VC and jump into the startup world, which was the VCNC, the Korean startup. What made you jump? I mean, Jafco is very traditional Japanese VC. Mm. Maybe I should have stayed much longer to experience <laughs> the beauty of the VC because I didn't make, make any investment there. I just, you know, sourced the deals. I always envied entrepreneurs. I really love how they put their passion and work on something that they love. Uh, I was doing an internship in Silicon Valley before I joined the Jeffco, but uh, I saw entrepreneurs sleeping on the floor, you know, missing the couch rain and, you know, right. <laughs> working hard until the late night. And I really liked how, you know, people spend their life. Okay. So I, you know, Kiyo, again, he comes again and he told me like, would you like to be entrepreneur or VC? Because the muscle you're using in entrepreneur and muscle you're using in VC is totally different. Oh, so yeah. if you want to become an entrepreneur, you have to train yourself by becoming an entrepreneur. <laughs> so that made me actually decide. So VCNC, was, was it still a small company when you joined? I think so, yeah. They only had 10 people and uh, they're all Korean. And I was the only Japanese person in VCNC. <laughs> oh, they make a smartphone app called Between and it's up for a couple. And I think they have uh, more than 15 million users worldwide. It's not a dating app. After you date with someone, uh, you want to have an intimate space for two of you like not sharing the photo or not sharing a message with others. So it's an online kind of personal history exactly. and personal chat. Certainly. And yeah, I've, I think I've, I've run across them before. Mm. So I was just a tense, you know, member and the product was already there. And I, my role is to localize the Korean product to the Japanese market. That, you know, leads me to where I am. Uh, if I want to challenge more than uh, I would go to US if I don't want to have more stress or you know suffer. Then probably I'll just stay in Japan and um, do something more comfortable. So was that your big motivation in coming to San Francisco? I think so. Yes, uh, I'm 27 right now, almost uh, 30. My mentality will definitely change when I have family or kids or whatever. So I think taking a risk whenever uh, I can is the fastest way to grow myself. Mm -hmm. So. I think I'm taking this decision because of this. So why move to San Francisco rather than start a new company in Tokyo? I actually did start my own company in Tokyo ah. last year. And it was really fun with the great co-founder. Uh, we built maybe five products and we failed everyone. Oh. <laughs> that happens. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I was actually doing half of my product and half of like market entry consultant. And I had this, you know, idea in my mind that if I, you know, keep on doing the consultant for like, you know, market entry, then I won't be experienced at zero to one, the skill set. Sure. Yes. Uh, that entrepreneur really need. When you moved to San Francisco, you didn't have the idea for the company yet, right? Mm -hmm. You just knew you wanted to start something. I just knew that I would be doing something related to ramen, that's all. Oh, you, yeah, you decided yeah. on ramen before San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, before San Francisco, I was talking with Hiro, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the two of you came together. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, excellent. Let's talk a bit about the Japanese startup community here in San Francisco. Because mm. there are a lot of Japanese, both successful Japanese startups like Smart News and Makari are here, and there's also a lot of individuals, entrepreneurs like yourself, who've moved to San Francisco. 
So what is the Japanese startup community like here in San Francisco? I think I'm being very fortunate to be surrounded by very passionate people. Uh, for example, this office, we are sharing with the three Japanese startups, just oh. like us. Um, it's becoming one of the ecosystem to share our failure and also the success case. And also, there are very successful uh, local Japanese uh, entrepreneurs like um, Taro-san uh, and also Treasure Data. So it's very fortunate for us to actually talk with them and learn how they success. Uh, so I think it's a great ecosystem. So recently in Japan, there is, it's a bit of a trend for Japanese to do like you've done and move to San Francisco to start a company. Um, far, far more Japanese stay in Japan and start a company there. Mm -hmm. What's your advice on terms of when should a Japanese founder think about moving to San Francisco or, or London or some overseas market? And when's it best to focus on the Japanese market? I don't think there will be a best timing because yeah. in, in any timing you will suffer anyways. So even me, I came to U.S. and uh, Hiro told me that we will do B2B ramen business. But uh, the day I came to U.S., he said, oh, I'm going to pivot. You know, I'm going to change the business model to B2C. So, you know, I think we weren't ready when, we, when I came to U.S., but we survived through this and we are still trying to grow our business. So uh, it wouldn't be a good advice, but my opinion is just come to U.S. whenever you want to <laughs> and you will suffer anyways. So uh, I think what's import more important in is the commitment. You have to be here and you have to you know, put 100% of your time in order to make your company successful. I don't think you can do remotely. So of course, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, it has an image of this, you know, startup capital of the world, which, I mean, it is, looking at the numbers. But on a personal level, from your own experiences of running a startup in Japan and now running one in San Francisco, what's the biggest difference that you see in your own life? Like personal level, right? Yeah. First of all, burn rate is much higher than in Japan. <laughs> because the rent, rent is, is more higher. expensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah Engineers and, cost a lot yeah, more. salary is higher. And... Uh, well, so far, you're, you're giving me good reasons not to come to San Francisco. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so far, it sounds like a great idea to stay in Japan as a startup. So, I'm, again, like, personally, what's the good part about being in San Francisco? I don't think you will meet the top-tier VCs and top-tier startup people here in Japan. I mean, there are a bunch of top-tier Japanese startups there, but the, I think uh, the people we meet are... Like for example, we have conducted like a ramen private party with like a certain VC. VC is really interested in the food industry and uh, they wanted to have this tampopo, uh, which is like ramen movie, very old time ramen movie. They're showing the tampopo in front of the VCs and you know, <laughs> the, the celebrity chef and we were serving ramen there. That kind of event won't be happening. You know, we won't be able to reach those segments if, if we are in Japan. So you think the market is more open and easier to reach from San Francisco? Uh, the community is much more easier. Uh, I think it's really hard to get into the VC community and, you know, because they always require us to have the introduction from very, you know, promising startup or promising investor. Yeah, but because we have ramen as a weapon, <laughs> you know, we can get into the community uh, much more smoothly than maybe other business models. Ramen is like a connection between us and the people here. 
it's interesting because it is I don't know if this is a big enough advantage to move to anywhere but it, it, it's the companies I founded in Japan the fact that I was a foreign founder was always very interesting and unique and I could get introductions that Japanese who are running companies little companies my size couldn't and it sounds like you're experiencing the same thing here in the United States where being American company but headed up by Japanese and very much a part of Japanese culture makes you unique and that uniqueness is opening opening I doors. So. Yes, uh, I mean I came to Silicon Valley several times but uh, I couldn't get into the investor community so easily if I'm not running like you know ramen company <laughs> for example. It's really interesting because if you start a ramen shop in Japan from scratch without any brand you won't be having 100 customers in two hours and selling out, right? No. But here, because your ramen is very rare and special, everybody comes and eat your ramen. And you can sold out the ramen very fast. In your opinion, it would be much more difficult if a team of Japanese with a virtual reality company decided to move to San Francisco. It would be much tougher on them. I think there are plenty of people who's working on that certain you know domain. Oh, everywhere, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, what's the specialty about about that business model is the most important thing. You know, we we have been compared with the Blue Apron or you know Ipudo or you know Top Ramen, but uh, you know we can differentiate ourselves by saying that uh, we want to turn everybody into a ramen chef, and this is not something that Top Ramen can do. <laughs> This is totally different experience from going to ramen shop. So, so before you moved to San Francisco, you were clear that your business was going to focus around ramen. You were still working out the details, but you had that unique idea before you came. Mm, I, I like ramen. Uh, to be honest, I really like ramen, but uh, I didn't expect myself to become a ramen chef or you know ramen person <laughs> before I joined this company. I hero is totally different from you know, my characteristic. Uh, whatever the job, I, I can handle it. I'm really good at you know, finishing the tasks and making it efficiently. Hiro is more about passion and dreams. <laughs> and so he sometimes misses some you know, you know, tasks, but we can, I can pick it up for him. Do you have any advice for young Japanese entrepreneurs who are, who are dreaming about coming to San Francisco to start a startup? If you come to San Francisco, come with the business, not just oh, I'm trying to look around and you know see the Facebook office or you know go to you know Twitter's uh, office. Don't like do that. Startup tourists. Yes, that's that's not very. Uh, your time is more precious than that, I believe. And if you have a business, I think people will attract to that. Just because we have ramen, people gather around us and make community around us. So bring something, you know, to the Silicon Valley and bring something you love or you're passionate about and people will gather you and make some good movement. Excellent. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my, my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, the Japanese education system, the legal system, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make it better for startups, what would you change? I wish Japan has a better method of finding a good mentor, I think. Because if I didn't have my mentor or people around me, I wouldn't be able to take the risk. 
I'm I'm very coward person. I don't have so much confidence in myself. <laughs> But、uh, because Kyo or maybe、uh, Kinoshita-san from Skyland Ventures,、right. he gave me a tons of pressure to take a risk and you know be more entrepreneurship. And that's why I could make a decision to go to BCNC or go to Jafco or go to this company. So. I wish Japanese people are more familiar with finding a mentor who could push your back. So, so more mentors and more,、yes. more mentors, more role models, and more mm. mentoring. Mm, mm, I think so. Yeah. Right now, it's like a, a village, and people are very、really、nice to each other and not saying so much harsh stuff to each other. Oh, I see.、Mm, but、uh, I think there should be a one person who can push you to very uncomfortable zone. <laughs> I call it suffering, but.、Uh, Well, that's an interesting point because a lot of times mentoring and the community is there to try to be supportive and,、mm. and helpful.、Mm. And what you're saying is sometimes the most helpful thing they can do is not support but to push a little harder.、Yeah. I, I think、uh, mentors are calling a stretch. Or when I get some bad comment from like people I trust, I get very upset. And I couldn't sleep, and I wake up very early in the morning, and I go to office very early. <laughs> so <laughs> those little things, but、uh, it's really hard for、uh, because humans are, I think, generally very weak, and、uh, I'm weak too. And、uh, if people can push you to a next phase, I think people are generally willing to walk toward it.、Mm -hmm. But if there is no mentor, then I just stop, you know, trying. You know. So. Mentors in the community. The goal shouldn't be to make people feel comfortable. It's to make them feel a little uncomfortable,、mm. so they act. Yeah, I think so. If someone you don't trust says something bad about you, then you won't listen to it. But if you really trust that person because that person is mentor, then even the harsh comment you can listen to and actually move forward. So that relationship is very, very.、Uh, it's like a treasure for me. Yeah.、Mm. So I hope everybody in Japan has that too. Okay. Well, listen. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sitting、Thank、down with、so、me.、Much. It's been great. Thank you so much. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two Ws, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now I've known and worked with the crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by Crew with two Ws dot me slash four hyphen startups and get started. Startups are the lifeblood of an economy, and there are few who understand it better than Deloitte Tomatsu Venture Support. Deloitte TVS is the number one startup supporter in Japan, and they spur innovation here by connecting startups with larger companies and government entities. They work free of charge with these startups to help them with acceleration, PR, fundraising, and also finding the right corporate partners here. So far, Deloitte TVS has supported more than 3,000 startups in Japan. And now they have a global open innovation platform connecting startups and enterprises worldwide. It's a great way to connect with some of Japan's biggest players. So be sure to check out what Deloitte TVS has to offer. And we're back. What strikes me most about Ramen Hero 
is that its greatest current strength and its greatest long-term weakness both stem from the same thing. It's novelty. In the short run, Ramen Hero's novelty has attracted the attention of investors and foodies who are relatively unfamiliar with ramen and want to try something new. In a city awash in gaming, SaaS, and AI startups, leveraging their Japanese ties to offer something novel has helped them stand out in San Francisco. But moving forward, well, how much national or global interest will there be in home delivery ramen? Will Ramen Hero ever be able to grow beyond its initial group of novelty-seeking customers? Well, it's impossible to know at this point, of course. But Keisuke outlined two avenues for possible success. First, home delivery meal kits are becoming increasingly popular throughout the United States, and the ramen market will be some small part of that. Second, and perhaps more scalable, is taking the lessons learned from the direct-to-consumer space and returning to the B2B restaurant market. But Keisuke's main point about being unique is undoubtedly true. Whether you are a startup trying to attract the attention of a VC or a multinational trying to attract a new customer, you had better be doing something substantially different than all the people around you. If you have a story about Japanese and San Francisco startups, Keisuke and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 069 and let's talk about it. And when you drop by, you'll find all the links and sites that Keisuke and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And you know, we're starting listener mail here at Disrupting Japan. So if you've got a question about the show, about startups, or about Japan in general, email me at tim at disruptingjapan.com, or better yet, shoot me a message via Twitter or our Facebook page, and I'll read them on the show. It should be fun. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.